Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to this pre-national championship game edition, uh, and Happy New Year. This is BAMS Radio, the first show of the new year. I'm your host, Judy Armin, of course, with my co-host and producer extraordinaire, Thomas Watts. We will be joined in just a few minutes, probably about four or five minutes, by our uh, third partner in crime, uh, the third musketeer, William Redfish Barger, will be joining us to give us his thoughts. It's going to be a rematch. Uh, I was live uh, in... Uh, Atlanta, Georgia for the Peach Bowl, Washington and the Crimson Tide. Alabama wasn't a pretty game on offense, probably one of their worst of the season. I think we all know why, and we'll talk about that later in the show. Uh, but Alabama wins 24-7. to The defense suffocating a very good Washington offense, and uh, the Clemson Tigers beating down uh, Urban Meyer and the Ohio State Buckeyes 31 nothing. So I know a lot of Alabama fans, including myself, wanted Ohio State. That's a kind of a tone for two years ago. Alabama will not get the Buckeyes, uh, but they will get the Clemson Tigers in a rematch. But, you know, Alabama's defense is hungry, I think, for another shot at Deshaun Watson after giving up 40 a year ago. The Tigers, of course, want to finish the drill and win the national championship. I think it is the, easily the two best teams in the country, 13-1 and versus 14-0. and Alabama seeking to become uh, the first 15-0 and team in the modern era of college football should be a fascinating matchup, and we'll break it down tonight with Will Vandervert in the second hour at 8.05 of the Clemson Insider. Uh, we will talk to William Barger this hour. We'll also hear from Aaron Suttles, a conversation I had uh, with the TideSports.com and, of course, the, the host of the Suttles Approach on Tide 102.9 earlier this week, and also open up the phone lines. Bubba, and I know a lot of our listeners like to interact with us. Kevin Hagan uh, was, uh, uh, was texting me tonight, wanting to know about the show, so we will do that He's in the second hour in also. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he, there you go. He's already in chat, so we'll, we may speak with him later tonight and get his take on the game and maybe in a little Alabama basketball since the Tide got a huge win on the road in the first SEC game of the year, 68-58 uh, to 58 against Mississippi State. And I will be in Tuscaloosa, weather permitting, Saturday for the Alabama Crimson Tide hosting the Vanderbilt Commodores in SEC game number two. But everybody's focused, as it should be, is on uh, Tuscaloosa and the football team. They practiced again today. They will leave tomorrow for Tampa, Florida, for the chance to win back-to-back national titles for the second time under Nick Saban, the 17th in the program storied history, and, again, try to make history and be 15-0, and Thomas Watts. Absolutely, and they're going to have to hurry because, unfortunately, and up near you and even down here, it, the weather is supposed to get pretty gnarly pretty soon. So <laughs> it's going to be a – it's going to be real interesting to see you know, how quick the team gets moved out because, well, snow. 
Alabama and snow do not mix. At least Al- we're supposed to even potentially get some snow down here in Mobile, and wow. But anyway, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's, it's a really exciting time, Drew. We, uh, we had a, I had fun in watching the game, even though it did frustrate the heck out of me. And we'll talk more about Lane Kiffin, uh, let's just say, blowing, getting, managing to get himself fired from a job that he was going to leave. But yeah. I mean, that, and that's crazy. But as more and more continues to come out, and more and more continues to be to come into the public domain, you realize that Nick Saban was completely boxed in, and he had to make the choice because, quite frankly, if the shenanigans that you and I have heard are true, which and, they are, uh, I mean, I, I, okay, if 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 even half of that is true, I'll put it to you that way. Holy smokes, get the hell out of Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean, it's just Lane Kiffin. It's typical, his M.O. Uh, he did a great job when he was with, at Alabama as a schemer and play caller and developing three offenses against, you know, with three different QBs. But as with everywhere, the Oakland Raiders, head coach at Tennessee, Southern California, and now Alabama, he always leaves a job and leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth because he can't handle himself, uh, you know, in a professional manner. Uh, he's he, he almost acts like a frat boy still, uh, someone that just doesn't you know take responsibility well. It shouldn't be shocking that he could not multitask and handle two jobs. Uh, he had a hard enough time handling uh, one. And as uh, Aaron Suttles tweeted out right after everything went down, uh, you know on uh, on Monday, yeah, you know right or and really uh, Sunday and Monday after the game, uh, he tweeted out, you know. It's amazing that it all lasted nearly three years with Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin. And if you know a lot of the backstory, and we're not going to get into that tonight, but if you knew half of what went on during those uh, nearly three years, you'd be amazed as well. Yeah, you're right, Drew. That's absolutely correct. But, you know, I tweeted out after Lane Kiffin got himself kicked out, even though he was leaving, which is still a hilarious thing to think about, that Lane Kiffin, the way he stayed on at Alabama – was that he consistently won on the field. There was a lot of off-field baggage that started almost from the day he was hired. Like you said, we're not going to get into it, but Lane Kiffin was able to cover his own butt by winning at an extraordinarily high level, You know, taking Alabama's offense to statistical stratospheres that they had heretofore not seen. So, you know, great, good job, but then you flash to that Washington game, and it was discombobulated and confusing throughout and you know i I, i'm a scheme guy and and i I have been a lane kiffin defender as a play caller and you know and murph baldwin and i we had a conversation about it and both of us were just completely blown away by what happened so once lane kiffin stopped winning on the field get out see ya you know don't let the door hit you quite frankly that that's how that's how i'm standing on it drew but let me work on redfish real quick yeah absolutely let's work on william redfish barger and get him in uh, in here for the conversation. I know he's looking forward to that. Uh, he, of course, has got his ear to the ground as, as well as anyone with his program. And, you know, Lane Kiffin, he, he, we were both leery of him being hired in the first place. Then he did a great job. But each of us, I think, are on the same um, uh, wavelength as far as he had to go. I mean, and Thomas has already said and put it in, in you know, the exact uh, vernacular he needed to. Uh, he, he had to be removed. I mean, Coach Saban was painted into a corner. I think the players, uh, just steadily as this year, you know, came about, they were losing confidence in Lane Kiffin uh, from the uh, Auburn game on. 
uh, as of course, no surprise, he was uh, having his future decided. Of course, and uh, no matter what you hear, it wasn't mutual for him to leave at this point. I mean, it wasn't mutual for him uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, as far as the way he had to pursue head coaching jobs because Nick Saban had basically told Lane Kiffin he would not return to the program in any form or fashion. And so that's why Lane aggressively pursued jobs like Houston uh, and ended up at a place like FAU taking a $450,000 pay cut uh, because, honestly, uh, that, that's just the way it had to be. Uh, you know, Lane Kiffin had run his course. Uh, in, his, uh, you know, in his stead, they had brought in uh, Steve Sarkeesian, someone he's very familiar with, to be an analyst this season. He was on the staff in the summer through August helping uh, this team prepare for Southern Cal. So Nick Saban didn't announce it during that uh, week of preparation because – the bottom line was uh, they, they, he, he didn't want to create, a, 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 for, a, for lack of a better term, uh, a, a shitstorm, as uh, is, is Nick Saban. I'll use one of his terms because uh, with Sark's uh, previous stop being Southern Cal, he didn't want to create a controversy. And so he didn't announce it until after the game. But he helped with the Southern Cal preparations. He joined the team. He went to practice. And so he's very familiar with the personnel. I think in hindsight, Nick Saban would probably, uh, now he probably wishes he had removed Lane Kiffin uh, as soon as he got the FAU job and let Sarkeesian prepare them for Washington, especially considering that was his other uh, previous coaching stop. But he tried to give Lane Kiffin an opportunity. Uh, you know, it was nearly disastrous. Luckily, the Alabama defense and uh, Bo Scarborough was able to overcome, and now they get a shot at Clemson. And uh, now we'll bring in on the Sunbelt 10 top line our colleague William Redfish Barger, and let him uh, talk more about this. But, William, uh, welcome again to BAMS Radio tonight. Always great to reconnect with you. How are you? Doing, good, uh, doing great, Drew. How are you? Doing well. And I know I, I will, we'll let our, the listeners get your take as this has continued to unfold. And we can't go into all the information we know, but it was needless to say, uh, Nick Saban, as we have been talking about at the start of the show, kind of got painted into a corner uh, with uh, everything that went on with Lane Kiffin in the last week and really throughout the preparation for uh, Washington. Uh, in, in many ways, it, it's a, this, this, I think it, it adds to the legend of Jeremy Pruitt and his defense that this team was able to overcome such a train wreck of preparation as they had for Washington. Yeah, and I heard what you were talking about as far as, you know, Nick wanting to, uh, you know, make Sarkeesian the offensive coordinator. And, and I, when I talked on your, your console show the other day, um, I've gotten some, some more information on that. Um, actually, Nick wanted to name Sarkeesian the, the you know new offensive coordinator after the SEC championship game. Uh, and at the 12th hour, he decided not to because he didn't want to impact Lane Kiffin's ability to get a head coaching job, you know. If you go back to when that was all going on, you know, there were rumors that Lane was in play at Houston and, um, you know, some other bigger jobs than FAU. And, uh, you know, Nick kind of, you know, tucked things back back where they needed to be and, um, you know, really tried to protect Lane Kiffin. Uh, I'm not going to go into um, all the things that unfolded last Saturday um, in Atlanta for the game versus Washington, but let's just say that there were some uh, incidents, and 
as gracious as Nick Saban was to Lane Kiffin and trying to help him uh, become a head coach, you know, at, at the collegiate level, uh, let's just say that the uh, Lane didn't do a very good job of returning the favor as being a good employee um, for the Washington game. Yeah, that that's a great way to put it, and uh, that and it, unfortunately it kind of defines the coaching career of Lane Kiffin, and now he's really on his last opportunity in my mind to be a head coach and be successful at FAU. It's a program that needs direction, uh, but I just wonder still about his maturity level and him being able to manage a program and even to win consistently uh, at a place like that, William. And if he doesn't, uh, I'm sorry, but I think he's probably going to be a QB coach slash coordinator for the rest of his career. Well, you know, and I, I, you know, I didn't even know this through until somebody sent it to me. You know, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, his brother, uh, Chris Kiffin, who has mm. been the defensive line coach at Old Miss for the last several years, um, is, is leaving the Old Miss program to follow his brother down to FAU. Um, you know, and this isn't a rumor or speculation. You can go to Google right now and and do a uh, Google search. And I don't know if he was convicted or not, but Chris Kiffin back in like 2003 or 2004, you know, if you do a Google search that says, you know, Chris Kiffin arrested, um, he was arrested on felony burglary charges in 2003 or 2004 outside of Tampa. And I think it's real interesting that, uh, you know, Chris Kiffin, which I fully expect him to be named as one of the main uh, players of bad behavior over there with the old Miss debacle, uh, that he's leaving a, a you know a job at a you know at an SEC school as the defensive line coach to follow his brother down there. But to pick back on what you just said, you know those two cats, those two brothers, uh, you know being turned loose in a very very uh, wealthy area like Boca Raton, Florida, and based on a lot of the stuff that I think everybody has kind of heard, one version or another of the stories about Lane's last three years in Tuscaloosa, um, I think his behavior and performance um, since he's gotten the Florida Atlantic job as the Alabama OC um, in the days leading up to that awful performance Saturday against Washington tells me that he really hasn't learned anything from Nick Saban. And, you know, I think there's two pretty serious um, character flaws um, that have come to the surface. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, it's me saying this, and if I'm wrong two years from now, I'll be the first one to own it. But I think it's going to flame out inside of 24 months down at, at, at Boca Raton. That would not be shocking at all, William. Uh, I, with the way he uh, handled himself at Alabama, really, even though the on-field performance was really good, his personal life uh, was a shambles. And then with how he handled himself in this last month, and really two months, because the football team, uh, to me, you could kind of see – uh, as his uh, future was unfolding and he wasn't going to be back for a fourth year, 
uh, from the Auburn game on through, William, the offensive uh, performance and play calling and just overall cohesion wasn't there. Well, I would rewind it one week prior to that, Drew. I think that, you know, when you look at it, you know, uh, the, the offense and, and especially the passing performance from Jalen Hurts was very good against Mississippi State. But the next week against UT Chattanooga, um, you know, you can always say, you know, hey, they, were, they weren't interested. They were watching Auburn film. You know, that's – not not conjecture. I mean, I, I've been in those situations before, and, and that stuff happens. Um, you know, for sure they were game planning for Auburn during the week that they were um, preparing to play UT Chattanooga. You know, when, when you look at their offensive performance against UT Chattanooga, um, the first half of the Auburn game, the first half of the Florida game, and then probably for, for the – through the third quarter of the Washington game, um, I guess the, the the most polite thing that I can say was um, it was obvious that something had gone wrong with Lane Kiffin's preparation for games. And certainly I think it all kind of flew to the surface um, last Saturday in Atlanta. But, you know, I'm not going to, you know, Ashlane Kiffin, I appreciate what he's done. You know, when you when you look at the you know the overall body of work, um, you know, three different niche starting quarterbacks for for the three years he's been here. You know, three trips to the playoffs, three SEC championships. Certainly, he played a part in you know getting Alabama into a position uh, to repeat as national champions uh, Monday night against uh, Clemson. Um, but as I say that and, and I pay homage to him, um, you know, there's been some, you know, things that have kind of leaked out of Alabama's practice this week that kind of leads me to believe that uh, maybe this Alabama offense is, uh, you know, going to see brighter days Monday night with Steve Sarkeesian leading the charge. And I wanted – that's a perfect segue. I wanted to ask you about that and Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, you know, I, we don't need to get into it, but I, I, the first thing I wanted to ask you is I know you you just re, uh, were telling the listeners uh, that Nick Saban, you know, he, he, he wanted to uh, uh, really make the change before uh, – right after the SEC championship game, but he wanted Lane Kiffin to get a head coaching job. Do you think if Steve Sarkeesian – He's had his demons that you know with the University of Alabama uh, before. I mean, he came to university. Everyone knows how what happened in his career. Do you think if uh, if if Sarkeesian had have had not had that in his past, uh, and it had not had you know the, uh, if something there, I, we know that there was an incident that happened uh, in it before they they left for Atlanta for the SC championship game. Do you think that that made Nick Saban hesitate, and if he might have made the move then? You know, Drew, I really don't think that that was the, um, you know, the trigger point. I think it had more to do with, you know, look, let's just be honest here. You know, when when, when Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban, you know, cut this deal in December of, of uh, uh, 2013, 
um, it was a three-year agreement, you know, that both sides made. You know, I'm going to make a commitment to you for three years, Lane. You're going to make a commitment to me for three years. Um, Be your kind. And and you know, I think you know when you know when you when you show up and you look at what Lane did. Um, as you know, for his job on Saturdays, he did a great job. You know, he's a great play caller. Um, but you know, for the people that are listening, if they haven't seen this, and I don't know if you've seen it, Drew or, or Thomas to that extent, um, go out there, you know, to to and Google Steve Sarkeesian mic'd up, and it's mm-hmm. I can't give you the year, but this will date in a little bit. It was when Mark Sanchez was becoming the starting quarterback at USC. And, you know, Pete Carroll allowed, you know, their media relations department to mic up Sarkeesian for the spring game. And, you know, what I've learned in the last 30 days is, you know, that, that Kiffin might be the more gifted play caller out of the two but that Sarkeesian is quarterback developer out of the two. And if you yeah. don't Google that on YouTube, you know, with Sarkeesian, man, it's, it, it's, it's like watching, you know, two years ago during 2014 when, you know, Lane would make the play call and, you know, before Blake Sims would take the snap, Lane would throw his hands up in the air and signal a touchdown. Um, you know, Sarkeesian's basically doing that in this, you know, 45-minute video from USC spring practice. But he's you know he's not throwing his hands up in the air. He's telling the quarterback, you know, hey, the wide's open, that's the coverage you want, throw him the ball. And, you know, after every play, you know, you can see him um molding and coaching Mark Sanchez. You know, this is back when, you know, USC and Pete Carroll were rocking and rolling. You know all the players. Red Bush was there and Mike Williams was there offensively. Um, but what I, I've learned from, you know, talking to everybody is, you know, the, the two guys that I'm talking about, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, um, they've kind of followed a, a same path. And, and, you know, I really do uh, – probably have more empathy for Sarkeesian than I do Kiffin um, because up to this point I think Kiffin's had an opportunity to rehabilitate his image and publicly what people know and don't know he's done that but behind the scenes he really hasn't but you know Sarkeesian's troubles really started once he got the Washington head coaching job and, mm-hmm. you know, before he ever got the USC job, you know, his wife had left him. Um, you know, he had gotten into some trouble in Washington with the DUI. Um, you know, the real villain in this whole situation is Pat Hayden. He did the worst job of betting a head coaching hire um, that I've ever seen in, in college football based on what was kind of going on with Steve Sarkeesian's personal life at Washington before, you know, Pat Hayden hired him at USC. Um, but I, but I do think that he does have um, things heading back in the right direction. Um, you know, there was a report that came out today from Ryan Barto with two, four, seven 
Um, and I know exactly which coach on Alabama staff the information came from. And, you know, it was very positive for, for Alabama's future, um, even more so uh, maybe for Monday night. But, you know, that Isaiah Bugs has been unblockable uh, this week in practice. Uh, Alex Leatherwood looks like he's uh, going to be a factor um, in the 2017 offensive line. Uh, you know, that Scott Lashley has finally turned the corner. Um and it doesn't just look like a guy that looks like Tarzan and plays like Jane. He's ready to play, uh, take the next step. But but the thing that really stuck out to me about Ryan Bartow's report was what he was told by a current Alabama staff member um, about Sarkeesian's impact on the offense, that it's running faster than it ever has before. Uh, it's running smoother that Nick Saban and the, and the current players on offense are tickled to death. And the practice, the practice observers have seen more velocity out of Jalen Hurts' throws um, that they've made. So, you know, there's a lot of positive stuff going on, in my opinion, for Alabama leading up to this national championship game Monday night versus Clemson. And that's what I think everyone's anxious to see. I mean, they want to see uh, what kind of impact Sarkeesian can have, even in a short time on the offense and on Jalen Hurts, because I just felt like from, you know, and you brought up a great point about Chattanooga. That's another game where they did not play well as in a complete team. And, it's, and on offense, only uh, scored 31 points. but uh, And he was running Hurts too much, wasn't really getting the tailbacks involved. And that that's what's got to have both Scarborough, Damian Harris, and Joshua Jacobs excited. I think uh, Sark is going to uh, get the – he's a more run-centric guy, uh, and he's going to, I think, be more economical with running hurt and get these tailbacks uh, more involved sooner. Well, you know, Drew, I, I, I think we talked about this on your radio show um, earlier this week, but I, I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, talk to two different media members that, that covered USC back when, you know, and people don't understand this, when, when Sarkeesian and Kiffin were on USC staff, um, you know, Lane Kiffin was the wide receivers coach. Steve Sarkeesian was the quarterback coach. And, you know, what they've all told me, um, and, you know, of course they know that I'm a, a bammer, and uh, they're like, look, you're, you're going to be more impressed with Sarkeesian because he's a better developer of quarterbacks than Kiffin is, kind of have this false sense of, you know, Kiffin as the quarterback developer over the last three years based on what he did with Blake Sims, Jake Toker last year, and, you know, through the months of September and October with Jalen Hurts this year. But what they've all told me to a T is, that like he was touched on, Sarkeesian is a more he's more of a sixty forty guy run to pass um as far as his play calling is concerned. Um he doesn't get caught up in trickeration and, and trying to run the the jet sweeps and the bubble plays, the bubble screens and all the stuff that you've seen out of Lane for the last year. They said he's a much more better fit as a play caller in an OC um, for, for a Nick Saban offense than Lane was. And, you know, it kind of jarred my memory 
because I can remember uh, back in 2000, about, uh, what was it, yesterday or today was the 10-year anniversary of Nick Saban being hired at Alabama. Yesterday, um, absolutely. You know, after Jimbo Fisher turned Nick Saban down as his OC uh, 10 years ago this week, his second call was to Steve Sarkeesian. And, uh, you know, that didn't work out either. And, you know, unfortunately, we were stuck with Major Applewhite for one year. But um, I'm real interested to see what happens and how that stuff unfolds Monday night um, against Clemson. And uh, the the most ironic thing, I think, about this whole uh, month of, of, of December, I realize we're in the first week of January now, Drew, but... To me, I think the most ironic thing that I've seen in a long time with college football is Steve Sarkeesian was still the head coach at USC, and Najee Harris would be going to USC this week. And even though they're not, they're still going to get get an opportunity to play, even though he's not the head coach. They're both going to get a chance to play. Um, for the same guy that started recruiting both of them when they were in the eighth and ninth grade, and he's going to be their offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama, and I'm talking about Steve Sarkeesian. And I'm, that's a perfect segue because we can talk a little recruiting. Uh, both Tua Tagovailoa and Najee Harris are on separate teams. They are at the Army game in San Antonio. There has been is I know we I've followed recruiting since I was a kid. I used to be in this business in the business full time. I don't cover it full time anymore. I'm a, as you know I'm in the radio biz, but I have never really seen anything like the 24 hour a day scrutiny of Najee Harris, especially uh, at the uh, Army game. Uh, but you're saying, and I believe this as well, uh, that Najee. Uh, you think he will not flip to Michigan as so many of these uh, Michigan uh, Wolverine fans and, uh, and and moderators and just uh, all members of the media seem to think you believe he's going to end up in Tuscaloosa along with Tua Tagovailoa. And as you and as uh, we, we should also mention, even before Steve Sarkeesian took over full-time as Bama's OC, he flew to Hawaii and helped keep Tua committed to the University of Alabama. Well, I'll say this. I mean, I don't think that there's ever been a lot of concern um, on the Alabama side of the Najee Harris debate, um, you know, from the Alabama coaching staff. And I would say, um, you know, for the people that are listening to this show tonight, um, that this is just common sense without inside information. If, if the Alabama coaching staff felt like there was a greater chance than not of Najee Harris flipping to Michigan, you would have never have seen Cam Akers commit to Florida State last week, and you would have never have heard out of his own mouth, uh, despite me committing to Florida State tonight, I have not been in contact with Alabama's coaching staff for several weeks. Um, they would have immediately, uh, you know, turned to Cam Akers, who's always wanted to come to Alabama, you know, was committed to Alabama, and, you know, was – understandably so, um, you know, scared off after Najee Harris committed. Um, You know, both of them are outstanding running back prospects, um, different players at that position in their own right. But 
I, I have never talked to anybody closely associated with the Alabama coaching staff that felt like there was a really, really good chance of Najee Harris going to Michigan or USC, however you want to chop it up. Um, I think that Tosh McCoy did a great job, um, you know, got in there early, established a relationship with Najee and his mother. Um, and I, 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 I will go to my grave saying this, uh, you know, the fact that Steve Sarkeesian showed up, um, you know, in August, who had recruited Najee since the eighth grade, um, you know, when he was at USC, um, you know, I think that was kind of the feather in Alabama's cap. You know, you had Tosh LePoy that, you know, it kind of won Najee's mother over. Um, you know, you had Sarkeesian coming into the program. Um, it, it, it's, it was a match made in heaven as far as, uh, you know, two of the quarterback and then Najee Harris, uh, the running back out there. And I think that's something that, uh you know, Alabama fans need to pay really close attention to. Um, you know, Tosh the Point grew up in that Bay Area, went to high school at De La Salle, um, you know, coached at Cal, coached at Washington, um, under Sark, uh, you know, as the head coach. But, you know, you've got two guys in in Sark and, and, and Tosh that have all kinds of relationships out there on the West Coast. And saw Jonah Williams last year, who's really not a true West Coast kid. I mean, he grew up in Atlanta until the eighth grade. Um, then his dad got transferred out to uh, Folsom, California with his job. But, you know, Najee Harris, obviously, and, uh, you know, Tua coming from Hawaii, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, both of those guys are true West Coast guys. And, you know, uh, Tosh and, 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 and Sark, you know, sealed those deals with both of those guys. You know, there's no uh, real secret that, you know, after Lane Kiffin realized that he was either going to be the offensive coordinator at LSU or go get a head coaching job somewhere else, uh, you know, that he tried to flip to him. And, uh, you know, he just didn't have the relationship with him to pull that off. And, um I just think that, um, you know, let's be honest. You know, look at three years ago. Um, a lot of people felt like Leonard Fournette was going to come to Alabama. Um, me personally, I never felt like he was. But there was a lot of, you know, information out there that, you know, people felt like Leonard Fournette was going to come to Alabama. He didn't. And he chose to go to LSU. And this is how I've kind of felt about the, the Najee Harris uh, recruitment all along. Um, so when Leonard Fournette made that decision and went to LSU, let, let's look at what's happened since he made that decision. Another running back not named Leonard Fournette won the Heisman Trophy, Derrick Henry. Um, Alabama's been to – three straight years um, of the playoffs, won three SEC championships, and they're fixing to have the opportunity to repeat as national championships, as national champions back-to-back on Monday. Um, 
this is the way I've always felt about Najee Harris, the same way I feel about Leonard Fournette. Uh, Alabama didn't need Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette needed Alabama, and I feel the same way about Najee Harris. Um, you have a chance to go to Michigan and be the man, but if you really feel like you're the best running back in the country, want to come to Alabama and measure yourself against three other five-star um, or number one in the country running by Damian Harris and B.J. Emmons. And uh, I'm glad that Knott's made the, the right choice. Um, he's going to have a unbelievable offensive line to run behind for the next three to four years. Um, but I think that Najakaris' recruitment is certainly a byproduct of what didn't happen for Leonard Fournette. That is a great analogy, William, and I guess and we'll talk more about it as signing day nears, but just briefly tonight, uh, should Najee Harris, and we strongly believe he is going to be in Tuscaloosa by Sunday and be rooming with Tua Tagovailoa, Tua has been very impressive throwing the ball at the Army game. Uh, he, it's going to be fascinating to watch him compete against returning starter Jalen Hurts, uh, who uh, who had an outstanding freshman year and really broke through a lot of barriers being uh, a African-American quarterback and being the first true freshman to start under Nick Saban at Alabama. But as far as Najee, you talked about him measuring himself. And, and don't forget Joshua Jacobs, who, while he may not have been a five-star coming out, he's no, proven absolutely. that he was com- he was com- he's completely proven that he was, uh, you know, a big-time prospect and recruit and made an impact. Well, I- I've made this statement, and I'll make it again tonight. And I'm not di- – I-, I think Damian Harris has improved by leaps and bounds. I love Joshua Jacobs. Iman's flashed. And we have seen Bo Scarborough start to return – start to become the Bo we all thought he would in the spring. He's becoming a monster. But I will say this. The minute Najee Harris gets on campus, he's going to be the most talented running back on the team. Just kind of talk about your you you've followed recruiting for as long as I have. What you think of this young man and, and what he could become? Well, you know, this is probably a little bit of a disagreement, but um, I don't necessarily think that he he's more talented than a fully healthy Bo Scarborough. I mean, uh, but that's a good yeah, point. I mean, Bo was a five star you know, of five stars. I mean, he he measured up to Leonard Fournette when he was healthy. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, not only did he, you know, get graded out as a five-star running back, but let's not forget when he went down to, uh, you know, the Under Armour game three years ago, a lot of people graded him out as a five-star wide receiver as well. And I'm not disagreeing with what you just said. I'm just pointing that out. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I do kind of feel like a little bit, Drew, that um, – the, the way that Najee Harris has chosen to handle um, the, the last 30 days of his recruitment, it's a little bit of a shining bright light to me that, um, you know, Nick Saban is going to turn into the boogeyman the same way that Rodney Garner um, does his defensive line players at Auburn. But, but I do kind of wonder if maybe they're going to have to, de-recruit the five-star media diva 
um, out of Najee a little bit. I mean, I, I I do have a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, the way he's chosen to build up the drama, um, you know, especially Agreed. in the last, the last month. And let's, let's be honest, you've already laid it out there. Yeah, he's walking into a situation where, you know, if Bo Scarborough stays healthy and if Damian Harris stays healthy and, uh, you know, we can't really talk about B.J. Emmons because of, you know, his injury. But, you know, Joshua Jacobs proved to be, and in my mind, you know, the best true freshman running back in college football this year. Um, you know, he's walking into a situation with the uh, – uh, the classmate, you know, the bruiser from Tuscaloosa, Brian Robinson, you know, he's walking into a situation um, where, you know, there's no guarantees there. You know, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Calvin Ridley and, and uh, you know, Gary Judy's coming into the same situation. I mean, you know, come to Alabama, and, you know, there's no guarantees. you got to earn it. And, uh, you know, I, I want to see, you know, Najee Harris go through the, the winter uh, strength and conditioning program and let's see what he does in the spring. But I agree with you as far as uh, the measurables and the, and the, the potential upside. Um, but, you know, there is no better potential and upside of, of anybody in college football at the running back position than Buzz Scarborough. If he can stay healthy. Um, you know, he's a monster in his own right. But he, he does bode well for Alabama, uh, Nick Saban, Jalen Hurts, and everybody else associated with the starting offense going into winter conditioning and spring practice in 2017. I mean, if you look at just, you know, through the, the running back depth chart, Garbro, uh, five-star running backs. Uh, Damian Harris, five-star running back, the number one running back in the country for 2015. Um, B.J. Emmons, um, I don't think he was ever rated a five-star by anybody, but he was considered by rivals the number one running back for 2016. And then there's Najee Harris. Um, you know, and then there's your boy, um, you know, you should be credited with, with Joshua Jacobs a three-star guy um, that, that wasn't really highly rated but proved this year um, on SEC football fields all over the southeast that he was an elite running back. Uh, Najee Harris is, is, is coming into a situation at a position that is loaded with talent. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think you'll find out that Great players want to go to places they can be challenged and they have a chance to rise to the occasion and, you know, excel. And I think you saw it last year. You know, if you go back and you look at the um, the timeline of Alabama running backs, um, mm-hmm. you know, you walked into this situation with Nick Saban and you had uh, Glenn Coffey. And then you had Mark Ingram. Uh, you know, then you had Mark Ingram and you had Trent Richardson. You know, Trent was supposed to be better than Mark Ingram. You know, then you had Trent Richardson and, and uh, Eddie Lace. Then you had Eddie Lace and T.J. Yeldon. You had T.J. Yeldon, um, Derrick Henry. 
Derrick Henry had to wait until his third season at Alabama before he came became the featured running back. And, you know, got yeah, that's that, true. once he got that opportunity, he took the ball by the horns and then made a lot of it, you know, won the Heisman Trophy. But um, I think that that's the difference between Alabama's program and everybody else. You know, you're going to have, you know, a guy that comes in like a Calvin Ridley, a wide receiver. You're going you're to have a guy that comes in like Jonah Williams, an offensive tackle. Um, you know, you're going to have a guy that comes in like Minka Fitzpatrick, at safety, that plays early and often. But are they really as good as they're ever going to be after their three years into the program? And that's why I'm really not that worried about the Clemson game Saturday, uh, Monday night, excuse me. Um, Minka Fitzpatrick is a much better coverage guy um, this year than he was last year when he got burned twice. Um, you know, against Clemson's a walk-on wide receiver. Uh, you know, Ryan Anderson, he's a much more complete defensive end, uh, you know, than, than – the limited time that he saw on the field last year against Clemson. And there is an Sean Robinson, Karen uh, Reed, and Reggie Ragland, all great football players, but not really guys that are built to stop a quarterback, a dual-threat quarterback like Sean Watson. Um, so I, I, I'm trying to kind of, you know, put all this stuff into one basket and sell it. But, um, you know, and I know we're going to talk about Clemson more here in a few minutes, but that that's what I see, and that's what I'm excited about. I mean, Alabama is going to have the most talented offensive football team. I'm not going to say it's going to be the most prolific, but when you start talking about stargazing, and I'm talking about five stargazing, uh, wide receivers, uh, Calvin Ridley, Terry Cutie, Robert Foster, all five stars, all guys that were ranked the number one wide receivers, running backs, both star, bro, five star, Damian Harris, five star, number one running back, uh, B.J. Emmons, number one running back, he wasn't a five star, Najee Harris, five star, the number one overall player in the country. And then you just look at Jonah Williams, Alex Leatherwood, Jedrick Wills, Alex Baker, five stars on the offensive line. You know, it's a good damn time to be an Alabama fan, Drew. Certainly is, William. And as you said, uh, Derrick Henry had to wait to his third year. So did uh, Eddie Lacy, but it didn't hurt both of them. And perhaps that will happen with Najee Harris because there is so much talent at running back. But, Let's focus on the matchup with Clemson now. Clemson coming off their best all-around game of the season. They've been inconsistent, a little up and down, but you could never question their talent. Uh, they, they Especially defensively, Brent Venables, who won the Frank Burles Award. I thought Jeremy Pruitt should have won that. Hopefully Jeremy's got a little bit of chip on his shoulder going into Monday. But Venables has done a nice job. They replaced a, a lot of defensive talent on the defensive line. Uh, and, of, of course, in the secondary, and really even in, the, in their entire – they lost, I believe, eight or nine starters. So they've been able to reload on defense. They had a lot of guys back on O and then got Mike Williams healthy. Uh, just kind of talk about this matchup, how you're seeing it as this week has gone on. 
uh, with the Alabama matching up against uh, this Alabama defense matching up against that explosive Clemson O, first of all. The first thing that I look at is, uh, you know, number one right out of the gate, Jeremy Pruitt is 2-0 and as a defensive coordinator against Clemson. Um, you know, one of those games was when he was at Florida State. The second one was when he was at Georgia. Um, you know, I think the guy has the best concepts at shutting down a hurry-up, no-huddle offenses. He's proved that against Gus Malzahn. Um, and, and, again, you know, he's been very successful against, you know, a lot of spread offenses. So what, what I see is if Jeremy can take away the ability of Deshaun Watson to make plays with his feet, um, which was kind of the Achilles heel of, of, you know, Alabama's defense last year in the national championship game with Kirby Smart. Um, you're not going to see a Sean Robinson, I've already said this, Jerron Reed, Ricky Raglan out there, um, you know, getting stiff and, and not being able to change directions to Sean Watson. I, I fully expect Jeremy Pruitt to take away Deshaun Watson's ability to rush when he wants to or extend plays with his feet. So if he does that, then you're going to have to sit there. Um, Is Deshaun Watson capable of standing back in the pocket and throwing the football 40 to 45 times without throwing two interceptions? And if he throws two interceptions against, you know, the best pass rush in college football and, in my opinion, the best ball hawking secondary in college football um, that can turn interceptions into pick sixes, um, that's, a, that's a big feather in the cap for Alabama. But, Drew, to me, I, I think the, you know, the, the, the big matchup is on the other side of the football um, – can Ross Pierce Baker and Corin Turvin block um, on a consistent basis? Can they neutralize, you know, those two uh, five-star defensive tackles of Clemson's? Talking about Christian Wilson, I mean, the Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. Um, you know, my, my, my big key going into the Auburn game um, was – whether or not Corin Curvin could control Montrevious Adams. And he passed that test with flying colors. Um, but then you look back on Saturday against Washington, you know, and that Samoan, you know, ate his ass alive. You know, after learning some other things, I'm kind of hoping that maybe uh, Corin Curvin didn't know who to block, uh, you know, based on Lane Kiffin's performance. But you know, to me, is is you know, if, if Alabama can have extended drives and, and run the football successfully on on Clemson, because the strength of their defense is their defensive line, their their linebackers. There's no elite players there, and there's no elite players on the back end um, in their secondary. If they can, you know, establish drives, keep the defense off the field. And, and, you know, extend drives, um, I'll say this. There's a much better chance that Alabama wins, wins this game 
by double digits versus Clemson winning it. Great points, William. And uh, I do think also uh, that J.K. Scott can be a big part of the game. He was huge in the Washington game punting and I'm like yourself I think maybe a lot of people have made a lot about Alabama's struggles on the offense and on the OL against Washington but I think a lot of that may have had to do with the play calling and Lane Kiffin Uh, because Brad we know how good Bradley Bozeman's been all year and even he was struggling he wasn't snapping the ball but we know why uh, because Lane Kiffin was calling plays that they hadn't even practiced so I think Alabama's going to be a lot more confident and I'm anxious to see how much confidence uh because uh, I think really over the last month Jalen Hurts has regressed a little bit, and he kind of he's an even killed guy. But I think they were he may have lost a little confidence too because they uh, because he hasn't his passing numbers have gone down each week. It's going to be interesting to see if how quickly Steve Sarkeesian can get him going Monday, and if he can get him his confidence back throwing the football. I think if he gets off to a quick start and completes a few throws early. He may be in for a big night and uh, be a, a back to being a, a, a weapon, which is what he has to be in the offense for Alabama. No, absolutely, and, and I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think this is something that kind of have to put into perspective. You know, and we talked about this on your radio show earlier in the week um, because I lived through this live and living color, and, you know, What I want to share with the listeners is how quickly something like this can change. Um, You know, when we strolled down to Fort Lauderdale in 1991, um, you know, Mal Moore got knocked slap out on the sideline. Um, You know, we didn't really learn how extensive the injury really was until he started calling plays. Um, especially in the red zone that, you know, we hadn't prepared for. And at halftime, you know, Larry Kirksey was told by Gene Stallings to take over the play calling. We come out back in the second half, and, you know, Jay Barker uh, becomes a celebrity. David Palmer becomes a second-round draft pick. And, uh, you know, we, we score a lot of points on probably the most talented defense um, that I played against in my five years at Alabama. Um, I think that same concept is in play with Steve Sarkeesian. Um, you know, Nick Saban took a huge dump all over Brent Venerables by doing what he did um, with the switch from Lane Kiffin to Steve Sarkeesian. Um, now, all of a sudden, all the tendencies that Lane Kiffin had showed um, throughout, you know, this past season on, on down and distances, every play caller, whether it's a OC or a DC, has tendencies that they like to use um, on certain down and distances as a play caller. So that's been removed. Um, there, there's no tendencies for uh, Brent Venerables to look at for Lane Kiffin versus Steve Sarkeesian, what he has to do, uh, you know, where the onus is placed on now, he has to go back to Steve Sarkeesian was the head coach at USC and, you know, when he was the head coach at Washington, and he has to look at those tendencies. Uh, So, you know, I'll say this, you know, as an Alabama fan, am I concerned about the game Monday night? 
Uh, yes, I am. But I will say this. There is a much better chance, in my opinion, that Alabama wins this game by 10-plus points versus Clemson winning this game by 10-plus points. And uh, finally, William, as we get the last few minutes with you, and we thank you for joining us on this opening uh, hour of this pre-national championship game edition of BAMS Radio on uh, January the 5th, 2017. Uh, what Do you have a score in mind? I picked 27-17. I think this defense is better than last year. That's not being talked about. You already brought up the Jeremy Pruitt factor. I think he'll, he's going to know Clemson and have a solid game play. Remember, his, the, the adjustments he helped with last year in the second half with Deshaun Hand and, uh, of course, Rashawn Evans helped slow Clemson down somewhat last year. I think Clemson, they want revenge, but I think this Alabama defense wants to try to go down as one of the best ever and measure up very, very favorably with your group in 1992. Well, they're never going to do that. That 92 defense, uh, you know, could put pressure on the quarterback by just rushing three guys. Um, you know, if they could pass block to three, uh, Brother Oliver would walk Antonio London out on the outside and bring four. Um, I do think that Jeremy Pruitt is, is the best defensive coordinator in college football. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, – scuttlebutt out there. You know, people think that, you know, it's Nick Saban's defense and, you know, he delegates Jeremy Pruitt. That's a that's a complete pile of shit. Uh, Jeremy's made his mark on, on this year's team. Um, he's simplified the calls. He's allowed this defense to play fast. Um, it's not what people think it is. And I think that's what they're going to bring to the table versus Clemson. Um, if Jeremy is able to take away the ability of Watson to run at will, which he did last year, um, you know, I, I don't expect it to be perfect. You know, it, you know, plays where you know, uh, you know, Tim Williams or Ryan Anderson. Uh, you know, gets in their pass rushing lanes, and he, he might shake one or two of them down, but I just don't see it happening on a consistent basis. But if he's able to, to eliminate that aspect of Deshaun Watson's game and forces him to sit back there in the pocket like a statue and throw the ball 40 or 45 times a game um, accurately, um, the, the stats say that he's going to throw two interceptions. And if he throws two interceptions against this Alabama secondary, there's a better chance than not that Micah Fitzpatrick's going to take at least one, if not both of them, back to the house as a pick six. And if that happens, that really takes a lot of the pressure off the Alabama offense, which I will say um, that this recipe for Alabama's offense to help that defense is, you know, 10, 12, 15 play drives, keeping that Clemson, you know, fast-paced offense off the field. Um, The more I hear about what uh, Steve Sarkeesian is doing with that offense, the better I feel about it. 
But I will say this. I'll make my prediction right now. It's not going to be a uh, score prediction. But I will say this. This game will come down to a 10-point differential for either team. And I feel like Alabama has the chance to be on the winning edge of that 10-point differential, more so than I feel like Clemson's team does. William, great thoughts as always and outstanding analysis. We're looking forward to the game on Monday. And, of course, we'll bring you the reaction next week when hopefully Alabama can uh, finish 15-0 and and be the first team in the modern era to do so and win the fifth national championship in eight years, be the first to do that. They've been chasing history, uh, and now they have a chance to make it against a quality opponent with Dabo Sweeney, your former teammate, uh, and the Clemson Tigers. But we really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, sir, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you next week and getting your thoughts on what you see on the field on Monday. And, of course, we'll continue to talk recruiting as February 1st. We'll be here National Signing Day before we know it. Thanks, Drew. Thank you. That's William Redfish Barger with some very interesting thoughts uh, on this uh, matchup with Alabama and Clemson. We look forward to uh, uh, having Will Vandervert on in about five minutes uh, from the Clemson Insider we hope to bring him in to bring the other side of the coin. Uh, last year, he was very confident in Clemson's chances and predicted a win, which nearly happened uh, in a classic game that people still listen to, listen to the broadcast, and still watch, of course, uh, via their DVDs or their DVRs, a classic game, Clemson and Alabama, 45-40, to 40, the Tide wins in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, but now we hope to, to catch up with him in about a few minutes and uh, get his thoughts on this matchup and what he's Uh, hearing uh, from the Clemson camp, uh, and uh, we will look forward to that. We're going to take our our little break here. Thomas Watson and I will be back with Will Vandervert on BAMS Radio. Stay with us. Rolling down a backwoods, Tennessee byway, one arm on the wheel. Holding my lover with the other, a sweet, soft, southern thrill. Worked hard all week, got a little jingle on a Tennessee Saturday night. Couldn't feel better, I'm together with my Dixieland tonight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler neat the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving, a little turn of dubbing on a Mason Dixon night. It's my life, oh so right. My Dixieland delight. Munching on clover, red-tailed hawk, sitting on a limb. Chubby old groundhog, 
We are back for a little more BAMS radio. I apologize if you're listening live. I don't know why Blog Talk Radio decided to eat the volume on that song. So <laughs> I was listening to it and I was like, what, why is it bouncing? I'm not doing this on my board. <laughs> <sighs> story, of, story of my production life, Drew. But anyway. <laughs> well, you know, we always like a little Dixieland delight. As we take our few-minute break here, now we're going to be trying to get in touch uh, with Will Vandervert. Uh, who uh, does an outstanding job with the Clemson Insider, and I've had him on my daily radio program talking ball a couple on a couple of occasions, and uh, he's an outstanding source for Clemson, uh, very very uh, knowledgeable on their football team, and I don't think there's any doubt that everybody agrees that the two best teams in a in college football are playing one another, and we wanted to spend a few minutes with him and kind of uh, get his take on. Uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers and and being able to bring him in and and what the the journey they've been on because they much like Alabama they had a target on their back all year uh, nearly ran the table and really controlled that pit game for much of it just had some turnover issues and then I thought a dubious decision by Dabo Sweeney uh, to you know uh, to go for it on fourth down instead of pooch punting I felt like if he had pooch punted and put the game in the hands of his defense. Uh, to make uh, Pitt drive almost the length of the field for a, as you get in field goal range, they would have won the game, but uh, he decided to go for it. And then uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers dropped that game, but they responded like champions. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, they uh, came, uh, you know, they, and uh, really have played at a higher level since that time. I mean, they were basically in a playoff mode like Alabama a year ago uh, for the rest of the season and played very, very well in running the table and, Really, I think Deshaun Watson has played his best football uh, going forward, uh, really has, and uh, we look forward to hopefully getting a hold of Will Vandervert and uh, having him give you his perspective uh, on uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers and uh, and what uh, they can do uh, against the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide in his mind uh, to, uh, to uh, be a part of it. And so we will see uh, as we try to uh, – 
uh, get a hold of Will Vandiver now. Uh, and uh, Will is uh, again, he's been uh, he's uh, he's Steeler Will on Twitter. He's also a big time Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, but again, you won't find a better source of Clemson Tiger info uh, than Will Vandervert. Uh And uh, we hope to have him on uh, the Sun Belt Tents hotline soon uh, and, uh, and be able to give you uh, his take uh, on this game. And Will is, is again, been very uh, gracious with his time in the past. And it's a busy for him because I know he's going to be traveling down to uh, Tampa soon to cover the game. Uh, this coming Monday for the Clemson Insider, and we look forward uh, to being on with him, but we will see. Uh, but Tom, I know Thomas is uh, efforting to reach him now uh, on the Sun Belt Tents hotline, and we hope to get Will Vandervert on with us soon. But, uh, Thomas, I know uh, this is a contest that uh, you were on with me on my daily radio program, Talking Ball, uh, very uh, and, uh, earlier this week. And I know you had uh, some uh, strong opinions on this game. I know at one time uh, you were uh, uh, in doubt about the the outcome for the Tide. I know you kind of liked Clemson at first, but much like William and myself and a lot of media people, at least in this area, and I talked to several today who all picked Alabama in a close game, you seem to like the Tide in the matchup also. Uh, I do, Drew. And really it's, you start to the story starts filling in as, as Alabama gets further away from the Peach Bowl against Washington, the Washington Huskies. Obviously, no more Kiffin. In comes Sarkeesian, and the shenanigans of Lane Kiffin, which have, we've spoken about before, that would have a negative effect on the team. At least I real I think it would. I've having led teams and been around people that have screwed off a lot when we're doing some big presentation. They've made me want to scream. So I can absolutely understand that somebody who's 18 to 22 would feel the same way. That sort of gave context. And then you really keep thinking about it, and you already broke down Jeremy Pruitt. I think Jeremy Pruitt is a tremendous advantage. I didn't get a chance to mention that on your program, and I apologize. But you know, Jeremy Pruitt, is his system is much more about athletes being athletes and using their athletic talents to make plays as opposed to Kirby Smart's system, which was very heavy on audibles, very heavy on trying to get the perfect defense, which just does not work in a t- against a tempo-type uh, tempo attack. Excuse me. So I really like where Pruitt is. And then I, I kind of like trends. You know, I'm I, I you know, interested to see what players were saying almost universally coming out of the players' mouths this week when they've spoken to the media have been, the practices are good. We're having good energy. We like Steve Sarkeesian. Now, that doesn't mean that Alabama is going to come out and play like the New England Patriots against Clemson, but it certainly helps sort of alleviate some of the stress and the pressure points that I felt the Alabama Crimson Tide would have to deal with going into this week. On top of that, while it feels like Alabama's coming together and having solid practices, Unfortunately, Clemson linebacker Ben Bolware can't keep his own dadgum foot out of his mouth and has managed to make himself a distraction as his football team is spinning towards the biggest game of the season. So I just I like the way that Alabama has been able to answer some questions in my mind and sort of, to me, get my head right because I was a prisoner of the moment initially watching after coming out of that Clemson-Ohio State game. But 
the way it's trending with the way Alabama players are acting and then some of the tomfoolery that the Clemson players are saying, it's just kind of like this, this starts to feel really good from an Alabama perspective. I know it's just a feeling, but it's how I feel right now. That's very interesting, Thomas. And I, I think, I do think Pruitt is going to be uh, a, a very integral part of this game plan and, and what they're trying to do. Uh, and, uh, and I think uh, obviously uh, he's, he's going to give Alabama a big advantage because I keep hearing everybody, and there's even people predicting Alabama to lose this game decisively uh, by 14 to 17 points. I know David Pollock has been on ESPN and said he thought Alabama, there was no way they would slow down Clemson and that Clemson was going to win by two scores. Uh, but the thing uh, I have to say is, is this, uh, this is not the same uh, Alabama defense they saw a year ago. Uh, they're going to be more prepared for this attack. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt is better at defending this. Alabama, is they've got the fastest defense I've seen probably since that 92 group, uh, which ran so well at each position. Uh, and they're, to me, they're still the best defense I've ever seen at Alabama. And I've seen some really good ones under Nick Saban. This is the closest. Uh, this is the best uh, defense of the Saban era. But in order to be considered uh, one of the all-time greats, you have to be able uh, to – uh, you know, win a national championship and finish the drill. Uh, Nick Saban's only had one undefeated season at Alabama, 14-0 and 0, uh, in 2009. He's got a chance to finish a 15-0 and 0 season and be the first to ever do that. Uh, and uh, so uh, we'll see how this team, uh, you know, if they can do that and finish the drill. If you go 15-0 and 0 against in this offensive era of college football, if they can, uh, you know, play well against Clemson, uh, to me, if they hold them to under 20 points uh, in this, uh, you know, this uh, where the uh, officiating is shaded toward the offenses, uh, where everybody, everybody is, uh, uh, a lot of the great athletes now go on the offensive side of the football, the spread attacks, just the way that everything's set up in football uh, on high school, college, and in the NFL, then I think this group is going to have to be mentioned uh, with the top five or six of all time and, of course, measured along that 92 group as the best two uh, in the history of University of Alabama football. And I'll tell you what, we're going to keep efforting to reach Will Vandervert. Uh, but before we do that, we can, we can go ahead and play a conversation I had earlier this week uh, with Aaron Suttles, who gave some very interesting points. He's a good friend of mine, good friend of uh, William Redfish Barger's. He's been on BAM's radio before. I sat down for about 16, 17 minutes on Talking Ball uh, my other rate, my daily radio program on ESPN 97.7 The Zone this past Tuesday, and wanted to get his thoughts on Washington and looking ahead to this matchup against the Clemson Tigers. Aaron, always great to reconnect with you. Happy New Year. How are you, sir? Thanks so much for the kind introduction, Drew. Hope you're having a great New Year yourself. I'm doing well. Well, and, and Aaron, just uh, quickly your thoughts, uh, first of all, on Lane Kiffin. Uh, I don't think anyone was completely shocked by this. Uh, but I know there was a lot of uh, discussion and just reaction off the offensive performance, especially of uh, Jalen Hurts in the passing game against Washington. But uh, first of all, I guess you just your take on it and were you surprised at all? Um, yeah, the timing of it caught me by surprise. I thought once they – we've never been in this situation before. Once Nick Saban's made a decision, he's never really you know gone back on that decision too often, at least with the coaching staff that we've seen. When they – when they came together and said, hey, we're going to stick together throughout, we're staying together as long as we're in the playoffs, um, I kind of took him at his word. But things became so distracting 
last week became such a circus last week that Nick Saban felt, hey, it's better it's better for us to let this guy go. We can bring Sark in um, and go from there. And it's not an ideal situation. I mean, Nick Saban is the coach who deals with distractions better than anyone else. He loathes them. He hates distractions. So for him to create the biggest distraction this team has had in a long time, maybe the biggest distraction the team has had prior to the national championship game in a really long time, for him to do that says a lot about what he thought of, of what the, lane, the job Lane Kiffin did last week, um, the, the, the offense he ran, how distracted he was, um, his comments at media day. He became the story, inviting a, uh, inviting a writer to go house shopping with him, talking about it's not fun at Alabama and all the ass feeling. Just all of that, Nick Saban just couldn't deal with it anymore and said he was willing to create this huge distraction for his team the week before the national championship game, that says it all about what he thought of Wayne Kiffin. Yeah, and did uh, and a lot. You know, Nick Saban is is always talking about being the one voice, and he is of Alabama football. Do you think a big part of this was that Lane Kiffin didn't keep some of these things in house? I think absolutely. I think Lane Kiffin. Here's the problem: Lane thinks he's being funny. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, he probably means them to be funny, but you can't poke fun at your your boss who doesn't like jokes. If you've got a boss who's cool um, and can roll with those things, then that's fine. But when you're taking a shot at your boss as often as he has publicly, um, I, I just don't think Nick Saban appreciated it. You know, even though it was a joke, and I think it was largely taken out of context by most media outlets that reported it, which was really unfair, you know, Lance Kiffin's comments that it's not, there's really not much fun in Alabama, it's, it's nothing but ass chewing. <laughs> He said that in jest, and he was kind of joking around, and people took that comment. It was a, a catchy sound bite. It played well. Um, Wayne Kiffin would say that, but it wasn't. he didn't say it in that context. And he certainly said it kind of joking around, but um, Nick Saban thinks about everything. He doesn't want players hearing that's no fun at Alabama. He, just doesn't, want, he doesn't want that message out there. So um, I just don't think he... Appreciated how Lane dealt with the media, and Lane still, despite three years, we thought we thought the three-year rehabilitation in Tuscaloosa would do Lane some good. We, we learned pretty quickly; still got some growing up to do. Absolutely, and that that's a great segue about his maturity. Uh, I do I do think he's handled the two interviews on the Paul Feinbaum show, and then Mike and Mike today. Uh, or this morning well, but uh, again, I still question how mature he is and uh, what and, and and if he can truly handle this next uh, step in his career, uh, restarting his head coaching uh, journey at Florida Atlantic. It's a good spot for him because it's out of the spotlight. But let's let's Agreed. be honest. People uh, people are fascinated with Lane Kiffin for reasons sometimes that I don't understand. I think he's a really good offensive coach. I think his personality leaves a lot to be desired. Um, but in terms of just raw, if raw coaching, I think he's pretty good. If he could go to the NFL, probably the best place for him. You know, get him away from a college campus, get him away from recruiting, all that stuff. Just let this guy call plays and be who he is. Probably the best place for him because I'm just not sold he's a college head coach. I just am not because, you know, we thought he was going to grow up. We thought he was going to mature. And he was really cool. And he just has it, and he makes it all about him. He's he's very narcissistic. Um, he needs his ego stroked a lot, 
but uh, he has to grow up at some point or he'll never get uh, another major Power 5 coaching job. Agreed. And, and now with Jalen Hurts, there's been a lot made of uh, the performance on Saturday. Uh, and you've watched him closely. You've been a big fan of his um, since he enrolled and then competed and won this job outright. Uh, but there's been a lot of talk, especially considering they had four weeks to prepare for Washington. And then really the second, the last month of the season, do you think that, that Jalen Hurts has regressed or plateaued as a passer? It's a, you can certainly make an argument that he's regressed. Um, you know, it's not just a, it's not just the Washington game. I don't think he played right. well against Florida. Mm-hmm. I don't think he played particularly well against Auburn. Um, but I don't want to put it all on him for the Washington because I've heard too much that people weren't on the same page, um, that some of the offensive players kind of questioned the game plan. It was a confusing game plan at best. I didn't understand what they were trying to do. And listen, we all thought he probably he might he would maybe take the next step during that bowl preparation, but he didn't. Um, if anything, he maybe has lost a little confidence. But your offensive coordinator has got to put you in better situations. Um, you cannot continue to throw a true freshman out there and put him in second and 12, second and 15 situations. They call a pass play on first down. And it's not that they – you could live with an incompletion and live with second and 10. It's not, it's not ideal, but you can live with it. But when you get in second and 13, second and 15, you take a sack, second and 19, you know, freshman quarterback's not coming back to that. The drive is over. I think you have to call more runs on first down. Um, that's the first thing. And if you're going to call a pass, make it a safe pass. You know, make it a timing pass. When's the last time we saw a wide receiver screen? Mm. Um, that was a staple of the offense in 2014. I mean, it was almost a given first down every time they threw it out to Amari Cooper. Um, maybe Jalen was just not comfortable with that pass. Um, but we only saw one jet sweep, I think, Saturday. And that's been a staple of the offense this year. You got to call these short passes, easy passes for Jalen. Get him some confidence. Get him in rhythm early in the game. Don't call, you know, passes down the field on first down turn because he's just not seeing the field well. Um, he's questioning his decision. One thing I've noticed, Drew, and I was talking to an offensive lineman about this. I'd, I'd like to get a quarterback's perspective on it. But when he when he drops back, especially on a play action or or on a bootleg, his drops are so deep. I mean, they are. Mm. He's looping back 10, 15 yards, dropping back and, and rolling out. And I just wonder, as an offensive lineman, how do you find the angle to block for him? Because it's changing. I don't think his depth um, or routine. I don't think they're consistent in how far he's dropping. I think that makes it very difficult for a lineman to know where he's supposed to be blocking to, which leads to more pressure on Jalen. I just think right now, fundamentally, his footwork, his drops, all of that. Um, need to be questioned, or need to be questioned rather. And um, he's got some work to do. And <laughs> I know it's ridiculously early, but they got a pretty good quarterback coming in next year in Tua. And uh, Nick Saban already proved he's not uh, scared to play a freshman. They've got to get more production out of the passing game. You cannot live with 57 yards passing. Can't do it.
can. And, and then I, I really thought it was a bizarre because uh, it may, and you know, Jalen has run some of those, uh, you know, quick, quick screens during the year. And, uh, and, and then again, they did, they, they took out the speed sweep. Of course, I felt like at times there was, t- there were times that Lane ran that too much. One thing that surprised me also, I thought he, he ran Jalen Hurts yet again too many times. And then it was the way he ran him inside. They had that, the first play of the second half, <laughs> he runs his own read for 38 yards, and then they didn't attack the perimeter again with Jalen in the running game. I was a little bit perplexed by that as well. Yeah, there was no rhythm to the play call. I couldn't understand what the game plan was. You know, Drew, there was one point in the game, both Scarborough was averaging, I want to say, about nine yards a carry. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he had 12 carries, which you know, on the surface doesn't sound bad. You know, 12, at that, I don't forget what point in the game. may have been the third quarter. He had 12 mm-hmm. carries, averaging about nine yards a carry. Jalen had 15 carries. Why in the world, or, and I understand some of that is Jalen taking off running on, on called pass plays, but why does your quarterback have more rushing attempts than your running back who's averaging nine yards a carry? I didn't understand it. I, I continue not to understand it. And more than anything, you got to put a young guy in good situations. You cannot put him behind the chains and down in distance because that's death to that offense. He's just not talented enough a passer right now to overcome that. You put him in second and long, third and long, those are in, those might as well just go ahead and punt because you can't convert that because that's that piece of the offense just isn't there right now. Well, and then to me, it can't, it's inexcusable. I know Washington has a very good secondary, Aaron, and I thought that was the strength of their defense going in. But when you have Calvin Ridley and Ardarius Stewart, who both had really solid years, and they get a combined three touches, that can't happen. I agree. And I thought, you know, I did think they targeted OJ a couple of times. I thought he should have been more integral in the game plan. Um, I know he dropped one that would have been a nice size game for him, but when, when the outside guys are locking up your good wide receivers, and, and Calvin and Ardarius, as they did, I, you know, I, I thought the, the, the matchup would be to exploit, get O.J. Howard out there, get Miller Forstall out there. How about a wheel route? When the mm. time we saw a wheel route out, out of these one outs? Most garbles can catch the ball now. now. He would go to these camps when he was in high school. He loved working out at wide receiver. Great hand. Uh, Joshua Jacobs can catch the ball. Yeah, I know he didn't play much at all Saturday. Uh, Damian Harris can catch the ball. you got to get more creative. You, you can't just drop back to pass um, and, and and just put your quarterback in bad situations. Um, I would expect Sark to be more run-heavy against Clemson. Um, I would expect him to have make easy passes for Jalen. Um, I, I just don't think you want to put the game in Jalen's hands at this point because I question how much confidence he has left. And then uh, with Sark, uh, this is a tough situation to be in, to have nine days to prepare a team that will hit the practice field today. Your thoughts on uh, the impact he can make, and and uh, th- this could be something that Nick could add to Nick Saban's legend if it works, because there's not many head coaches, if any, that would have had the guts to do what he did at this point in the season. It's, it's a no lose proposition for Nick Saban. If it works out, he's a genius. If it doesn't, guess what? It's Lane Kiffin's fault because he couldn't keep it together for another week. Um, so it's it's a, it's a very minimal risk move from Nick Saban. You know, offensively, I don't think there'll be a ton of difference. I do think Clark is more run-to-pass uh, philosophy, which is which would be good for Jalen. But the question I have, and is what I've always had, is for 14 games, Jalen has looked to the sideline when he's come to the line of scrimmage, and Lane Kiffin has read the defense for him, made the audible for him, made the adjustments for him, and signaled him in. That's 14 games worth of communication. Jalen does not have that with Sarkeesian. So offensive game planning, I have no concern. 
on the fly during the game, audibles and stuff like that, it's going to be an adjustment, and there could be some communication issues, and that could be a big deal. Yeah, it really could. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes. And now I've got to transition to Bo Scarborough. You know him better than a lot of people because you were covering recruiting at the time. He began uh, to blossom as a prospect, uh, you know, and in, in, in uh, the city of Tuscaloosa. Uh, and you saw his journey, and uh, he's been through some ups and downs with injuries. But we really are starting to see, and we have the last month, uh, the talent that Bo Scarborough has, and what we saw in the spring. He got derailed a little bit this fall and has had a lot to learn, but I thought, first of all, he showed a lot of maturity in the post game and his media opportunities, but as a player, uh, I call this Burtonization because of Burton Burns, but we're really starting to see the transcendent talent of Bo. Yeah, you, you, you said it, Drew. I've, I covered Bo since he was a freshman at Northridge High School. I was covering high school at the time, and then I transitioned to recruiting, so I've covered Bo literally every step of his career. Every year, he's been in and I can say without a doubt, Saturday was the best I've ever seen him play. And that, and that says a lot because he was pretty darn good in high school. And he was running against high school kids when at the time, even as a young player, he was fully developed like a grown man. But Saturday was the best I've ever seen Bo Scarborough. He wasn't dancing. He was hitting a hole. He was hitting it fast. And he was using his size uh, his agility. Just quite frankly, I've never seen Bo have that. And you may, I think you bring up a good point. Curtin Burns is the best in the country at what he does. He's absolutely phenomenal at getting the most out of these running backs. And for Bo, you know, certainly he wanted to have a better season than he had, but for Alabama, um, it may be the best possible situation because guess what? His legs are pretty fresh. They're not beat up like the other running backs because he didn't get a ton of carries this year just because, you know, he's dinged up a lot. Um, Great situation for them to be in. He's going to be the guy they're looking to against Clemson. because he's a transcendent talent. That, that run he had, um, 68 yards, phenomenal. I, 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 unbelievable, breaking two guys, tackles at the line of scrimmage, and then running away from almost the entire rest of the defense. He's, uh, he's an unbelievable talent, and the uh, best I've ever seen him look. Yeah, it really was. It's really what everybody was hoping for early. And now uh, this defense for Alabama, they face a huge challenge in Clemson. Uh, Deshaun Watson seems to be hitting his stride. Uh, they they played very well as a complete football team against Ohio State. Uh, we saw Ryan Anderson continue in big moments to step up. Uh, but I really thought the unsung hero of the defense Saturday, and I talked to him after the game, I would have voted him co-MVP along with Ryan Anderson. It's just really amazing to see how far Anthony Averett has come. Yeah, there's so that's the thing with that defense, is they're so talented that even really, really quality players almost all American-level players get overlooked because <laughs> they're so good, um, and they're so good across the board. Um, you know, Anthony Averitt quietly had a great season. You don't see him get beat that often. You don't, you don't even really see them throw his way that, that much, which means he's doing a phenomenal job in coverage. And <laughs> I feel like I'm Ryan Anderson's first <laughs> publicist as much as I talk about him because it was it – was, I don't like to get – overly upset about end-of-the-season awards and all that. But I I kind of felt like Ryan was a victim of playing for Alabama. If Ryan Anderson had played for anyone else in the country, he'd have probably been a unanimous All-American. He, he's, he's had that type of impact this season. But because you can't put four or five guys from Alabama's defense on the team, it's not the way it works, he's probably a victim of that. I also was 
quite frankly shocked um, that he wasn't a permanent team captain and his teammates didn't vote him that because um, he's a leader on and off the field for them. Um, and we finally saw, you know, he joined that touchdown club that all the other guys on that defense have, uh, have pretty much been a member of this year. Just phenomenal read to peel off, to read that play the way he did, to intercept it and have the strength to, to spin away from the running back before touchdown. Just can't say enough positive things about Ryan Anderson, just a really, really good football player. And then finally, Aaron, and we thank you, and this is Aaron Suttles, host of the Suttles Approach from noon to 2 on Tide 102.9 and beat writer for the Tuscaloosa News. Quickly, can Alabama win this game coming up on Monday? Oh, sure they can. Sure they can. They, they've got the best defense in the country, one of the best defenses of all time, in my opinion. Caveat being, if Deshaun Watson's on, if he's accurate with the football, he's going to be really difficult to beat because I don't think Alabama can put 45 points up. They might. Um, but I don't know if they can, um, especially with the way the passing game is going. So um, it, it, I think the key to the game is, is Deshaun Watson having one of those games where he throws an interception. Remember, he's he thrown 17 interceptions this year. Yeah. thrown some turnovers. Um, if he's accurate, I don't think Alabama's going to have a very easy time. If he's not, that's a very winnable game for Alabama. Well, thank you for your time, Aaron. Let everybody know where they can connect with you. You can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. Listen to me on the radio and Tide 129 from noon to 2 every Monday through Friday. And find my work at TuscanNews.com, Thank you, sir. All right, take care. That was Aaron Suttles with me earlier this week uh, on Talking Ball. He does an outstanding job for TideSports.com giving his thoughts on this Alabama-Clemson matchup. And speaking of that, now we are honored to be joined on the Neighbors, or not, I should say Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline. That is for my daily radio show. We are on the Sunbelt Tents Hotline on BAM's radio tonight, and we are honored to welcome uh, my, who's been the foremost source for me for Clemson information. And, of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Steeler Will, and he is a sports writer for the Clemson Insider, co-author of Clemson, where the Tigers play. And you can also follow him on Instagram, at Steeler underscore Will. That is Will Vandervert. Uh, Will, welcome to BAM's radio tonight. Uh, we know you've now gotten settled into your hotel in Tampa. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, man. Just a long drive from uh, from South Carolina, from Clemson. So, uh, got in just now, as you said, and uh, glad you guys started that it I had to delay. But you know how it is trying to find a hotel room. But I'm settled in now and uh, ready to talk some football. Hey, man, I, we uh, I totally understand the hotel situation. Uh, we, I had to, we had to get a room last week in Atlanta uh, to see the Peach Bowl, and I know I'm sure you were out there watching uh, Clemson wreck Ohio State uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. First, we'll talk about that. Uh, Clemson is uh, – no, no one doubted their talent going into this year. They were coming off that national championship game run, nearly won it all, brought a lot of guys back on offense, had to kind of rebuild their defense. It was a little bit up and down on that side of the ball defensively during this season. But they, you know, but they they managed to kind of I thought rise to the occasion when they were challenged during the season. Uh, just kind of talk about the season as a whole to get to this point for Clemson, and then we'll talk about the Fiesta Bowl, the just complete four quarters of dominance they put together. Yeah, I think for the most part the the defense has probably been the story of the season. Um, they came in and had to replace seven starters, second year in a row they've lost they lost that many starters. They lost eight the previous season. And so a lot of people wondered if Clemson could 
match the defensive intensity that they've had the first few years. And, and of course, they've done just that. They're ranked the number seven defense in the country right now, uh, one of the top ten scoring defenses in the country, one of the top rushing defenses in the country, and passing defenses. So they're top 15 in about every defensive category. And, and early in the season, the defense kind of, until the offense found its rhythm, uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, he got uh, Mike Williams back and Deion Kane back. And it took them a while to get in rhythm with his receivers there for a little while. So they, they were, I wouldn't say sluggish, but they were a little off the mark, if you will, for a few of those games. And they kind of got things going in that Louisville game and uh, really found their rhythm offensively, started getting rolling. And then I kind of carried through the rest of the season. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, the one, probably the one game the defense had that they didn't match up very well. And football's a game of matchups. And Pittsburgh was a team that didn't match up. Clemson did not match up very well with, especially considering uh, Pittsburgh's talent on the running back side and on the tight end side, advantage of those mismatches, and did a good job to, uh, you know, get the upset win there in Death Valley. But other than that, the defense has played solid for most of, much of the season, and the offense is kind of coming to its own here toward the end of the year where they're averaging, you know, 35, 42 points a game. Uh, the last five games, they, they, they've scored at least 35 points in every game. Excuse me, at least 31 points in every game. Um, blew out South Carolina, their rival, 56-7, to uh, beat, uh, beat Virginia Tech, a good Virginia Tech team, in the AC Championship game, 42-35. And, uh, you know, obviously what they did in the Fiesta Bowl was, was probably the most impressive thing of all. Uh, so it's a team that's really kind of found itself coming into its own as they, as they hit this national championship game and are probably playing as good as anybody in the country. Well, I, I got to be honest, I completely agree with that. Uh, and as you said, uh, defensively, they had to replace so much talent. Uh, they had seven starters gone. Had a lot of guys leave early for the NFL draft uh, last year. But uh, it really shows how well Dabo Sweeney and his entire coaching staff have recruited uh, to be able to replace that many starters and continue to be effective and in some ways uh, be better and even deeper on the defensive line this year. I know they lost Shaq Lawson. Uh, they lost – uh, two or three guys on that defensive line. But just talk about that front. That that was really the story, I thought, of the Ohio State game. That defensive line just wrecked Ohio State. Didn't give them much of a chance to breathe offensively. Yeah, it's a very talented defensive front um, led by Christian Wilkins uh, at defensive end, a guy who stepped out on the on the edge from defensive tackle after Austin Bryant was hurt in preseason camp. Um, he really kind of, you know, really kind of did a great job doing that. And then the uh, – you, you, you like what Carlos Watkins, the senior coming back, what he's done um, while he was there um, this year. He, he's had a tremendous season, an, all, an all-American an all type season. And then, you know, the freshman Dexter Lawrence has come in uh, and just been awesome up front and has really just been the story of the season. And then you look at the fact that uh, also um, on the other end, the hero, if you will, of the uh, Fiesta Bowl, uh, he's coming to his own and has now become one of those top defensive ends that Clemson just seems to find wherever they go. And they, they, they make up. And this is the thing. Clemson's defensive line is about eight deep, uh, eight to nine-man deep rotation. So they got a deep rotation, a lot of depth. They move guys in and out of there. And they're they're one of the best in the in the country. And they've shown that all year long. They've been dominant all year. Uh, they're, they're third in the country in sacks. They're, uh, they're, they lead the country in tackles for a loss. Um, you know, they just – that's what they do. They like to get in the backfield and cause a lot of pressure, cause a lot of havoc, and it's really worked out for them. It really has. I mean, they're, it's pretty amazing considering they lost a couple of first-round draft picks that they're even better and deeper on the defensive line, but that's uh, a total 
you know, credit to Dan Brooks and, and, uh, and Brent Venables and that whole staff. I mean, they've just done a heck of a job uh, building that program, and now it's just be kind of a reload situation. Uh, and then Ben Bulware, he's, of course, been there a long, long time at linebacker. He's pretty much one of the heartbeats of their team. Uh, and then the secondary had to replace a lot of talent, too. So, uh, But, again, talk about that performance against Ohio State as a complete team because I think a lot of people – I had Clemson win in the game, no doubt about it. I thought their experience in the playoff the year before and Ohio State being a young team that I thought was kind of overrated during the year would come to fruition. But I don't think anyone expected 31 to nothing. But just kind of talk about that, uh, that fourth quarter – that was really showing how good that team could have been all year. But you're, what it also is able to you're able to see is they're peaking at the right time. No, absolutely. They uh, the the one thing about that performance against Ohio State was the way they just dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. I, I thought Clemson had a definite advantage in that game when it came to Clemson's defense against their offense, but I didn't think it was going to be that much of a domination. And what it did was it allowed. Clemson's offense to wear a very good Ohio State defense out. And it just shows that when your offense is inept to do what it needs to do, it could really wear on a defense. And I thought because Clemson's offense is so good, they stayed very patient. They waited for their opportunities. And as that defense got tired, Clemson took advantage of those opportunities when they got, got their chances. And you saw that late in the second quarter, and then you saw it around the late middle third quarter into the fourth quarter where Clemson just wore them down. It was a very impressive, dominating performance. Uh, Clemson came well-prepared. You could tell they were a team that seemed like they were on a mission and that uh, their mission this year is to uh, have no regrets. They wanted to get back to this national championship game, and this time they want to win it. And they kind of showed that against Ohio State in, in what I thought was one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen from the Clemson football team. Yeah, and as my, uh, my, co- my co-host and producer, uh, Thomas Watts, just messaged me, you are talking about – Colleen Farrell being the kind of the breakout guy and the hero, he abused Isaiah Prince, uh, you know, uh, all night long and uh, really was a, a star of the game. And Dexter Lawrence, we've seen him flash all year. He was such a heavily recruited young man out of the Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's been the real deal. He's going to be someone Alabama has to deal with. And we all saw Alabama struggle offensively against a, a good Washington defense. They struggled on the interior of their offensive line. And that's going to be one of the big matchups, Will, is Alabama's uh, offensive line is going to have to play much better against this talented uh, Clemson front. And they had trouble, uh, you know, blocking Clemson last year. Clemson did a really nice job pressuring Jake Coker at times. Yeah, they did. I thought Clemson's defensive line played very good in that game. Um, and they gave themselves a chance. But, you know, talking with a couple of guys before we left Clemson, talking with Ben Bowler yesterday and Christian Wilkins, one of the things they were talking about was how disappointed they were that for three quarters, Clemson's defense really kind of played well against Alabama, and I thought had control of the game. Clemson, if you remember, went into the fourth quarter up 24-21. to 21. At that point, Alabama had just about 270 total yards. That was it. They had struggled to run the football with any effectiveness. They had the one long run um, there but uh, early in the first half, but they were averaging like three yards a carry, weren't throwing the ball very much either. And then uh, in that fourth quarter, Clemson's defense sort of fell apart. There were a couple of assignments. O.J. Howard, the talented tight end, was able to get open in the secondary on those things, made a couple touchdowns, had another run where he broke broke a long uh, play on just a simple screen pass and went 70-something yards up the sideline that set up another touchdown. He had the long kickoff return um, that, that was for a score. They had the onside kick. And so when you looked at it, when everything was said and done, Clemson gave up 
24 points in that fourth quarter and uh, had and 188 total yards. And as Ben Bowler said, it was it was embarrassing, and it's something they haven't forgotten. They've remembered it all year long, and it's something that's motivated them to want to get back to this game because they felt like they were the better team. They just allowed Alabama uh, to make plays late in the game that cost them because, they, as they say, Alabama made the plays, yes, but they were mistakes on Clemson's end, and they just were really disappointed that they allowed those things to happen. And now we uh, know how talented this Clemson offense is. Uh, Deshaun Watson for the second straight year, uh, a Heisman finalist finishing second again uh, in the voting, finished third a year ago. Uh, you know, I know he threw a lot of interceptions this year, but he's also made a lot of plays. They haven't run him as much this year, but they did run him against Ohio State. He should have fresh legs. Uh, but this Alabama defense, I believe, is even better than a year ago. It's a faster group, maybe not as deep along the defensive line, but still they got six, about six quality defensive linemen. Just your thoughts. I know you've, you've seen Alabama some uh, during the year on television, uh, but you've seen this Clemson offense up close every game. It's a fascinating matchup of kind of strength versus strength. Uh, just kind of talk about the, uh, Deshaun and his I know, and his teammates. That he rattled. He, I mean, he really, he looked as good as any quarterback I've ever seen against Nick Saban. That's saying a lot because of Johnny Manziel and everything else. But he played at such a high level last year. Talk about uh, their chances going up against this Alabama defense uh, coming up on Monday. Well, one thing that they really feel confident about is the fact that Alabama lost so many guys to the NFL last year, very similar to Clemson. But the difference is they're not very deep especially on the defensive line. And they feel like if they can have some success, pick up those third downs, which is the key down in this game, is if Clemson can get those chains and get in a rhythm, they feel like their tempo can wear down this Alabama defense, very similar to what we saw last week against Ohio State. So they they like their chances there. That's where they think they got their best chance. Um, Deshaun Watson, obviously, the thing that makes him so good is his confidence. You know, he feels like he can make every throw. And, yes, that could be detrimental at times when it comes to throwing interceptions. But at the same time, it's very beneficial in the sense that he throws a lot of touchdown passes. And he's very good at pre-snap read, probably better than any quarterback in the country when it comes to deciphering a defense and figure out where he needs to go with the football. Especially when teams bring blitzes, he's very good at picking up the blitz, finding his hot read. And he's so quick on this is release, it's hard for a defense to get over and make a play. That's what he does very well. What Alabama's going to try to do is put pressure on him because they know that on the back end is where they're vulnerable. They're still talented, don't get me wrong, but they're vulnerable on the back end. They've got some injuries. There's some inexperience back there. And Clemson's by far the best wide receiving core they have faced. Clemson last week against Ohio State faced a very, very talented uh, secondary. And Deshaun Watson and, and his receivers were able to pick them apart all night long. And Nick Saban, Look, guys, there's a reason why Nick Saban says Deshaun Watson is the best player in the country. He did not want this matchup. I think Nick Saban was pulling for Ohio State, pulling for Virginia Tech. He was doing anything to make sure Clemson, pulling for anybody to make sure Clemson didn't get to this game because he knows this is the most difficult matchup, and Deshaun Watson is the probably the only quarterback in the country that can beat him in this defense, and that's the matchup he's going to get in this championship game. should be a fascinating one because Alabama – while they're not as deep, that is absolutely correct. They are faster at just about every position. They've had a lot of guys develop. Uh, they do. They have had injuries, there's no doubt. Sean Deion Hamilton will be out of this game with an ACL loss in the SEC championship game at, at uh, weak side linebacker. 
he will be at the will spot. He he will be replaced by Rashawn Evans, who played well in the second half against Clemson last year, was really able to – one of the few that put pressure on Deshaun Watson and was able to get him on the mm-hmm. ground. Uh, and then also uh, this Alabama secondary, they did lose Eddie Jackson, very talented All-American safety, which also affected the punt return unit. And not really a lot of people, Will, have talked about the special teams aspect of this game. Uh, J.K. Scott's one of the best punters in college football, no doubt. Uh, it'll be interesting. The special teams won the game, really, I thought, for Alabama last year. It's going to be interesting to see which squad has the advantage, uh, and that may go a long way to deciding the winner on Monday. Oh, absolutely. It, it's a huge, as, we, as Clemson fans know and we know from watching that game and Alabama fans, uh, that was the difference in the game. It, it, when you look at it and you see everything that happened and understand that Clemson found an answer and recovered for everything except two things, the onside kick and the kickoff return for a touchdown by Drake. They could not recover from those two incidences, and that's why they lost the game. I mean, it just comes down to that. And, and so, it, it, you know, you can, offense can do this, the defense can do this, but if the special teams doesn't play, then there's issues. And, and so Clemson spent a lot of time in the offseason because of that, emphasizing kick coverage, uh, return stuff. You know, they've had their best return yardage uh, on kickoff and punt return since that was when he, since 2009 when C.J. Spiller was there. They've had their best kick coverage in years since probably maybe the 2011 season as far as covering kicks and punts. And uh, so they, they put an emphasis on it. They, they it much improved in those areas. Gave up three kickoff returns last year for touchdowns, which is worse than the country. This year, knock on wood, they haven't given up any. Uh, they haven't given up any long punt returns. So, um, you know, Clemson's done a good job, but you and I both know Nick Saban does as good a job as anybody when it comes to special teams and finding that weakness. And you've got to think he's looking long and hard to see if that's where he can take advantage of Clemson again. Because Clemson matches up very well with Alabama on both sides of the football. But how does Clemson match up with special teams? That could be the telling sign of this game. If Clemson can even it out and just make the special teams even, then Clemson's got a great chance to win this game. But if Alabama's able to do what they did last year, and Clemson could be looking themselves again on the end of a, of a close loss because of it. Well, and uh, that's a great point because uh, Alabama started slowly against Florida, but what got the juices flowing was a block punt by Derek Gore uh, that turned into a touchdown, uh, and then they really uh, kind of they, they helped them take control of the game, then a defensive touchdown. This Alabama team has been so proficient at scoring uh, and helping that offense out. I think they're going to have to to win this game. They're going to have to get two or three turnovers from Clemson. We know Deshaun threw two t- interceptions last week. If Alabama can get two or three turnovers from Clemson this week, I think they've got a good shot at winning, but that's what they're going to have to do because Clemson's very explosive. We know they're going to make plays. And I think another underrated part is which team plays better in the red zone defensively. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing. When you look at turnovers, Clemson is – and this is a great stat to, to understand and, and understand this Clemson team. In the eight games where they've had two or less turnovers, they have won by an average of like 40 points. In the, and that's including last week's win over Ohio State. In the games where they've had more than two turnovers, the other six, other seven games, they've won by an average of six points. So it's two different teams because of that. What, what it's done is it's kept other teams in the ball games and has allowed them to have, an, uh, to have a chance to win late. And Pittsburgh was able to take advantage of that. Three turnovers. Uh, all three in the red zone. Since that game, Clemson hasn't had one single red zone turnover, knock on wood. And, um, you know, that's kind of been why this offense has really got rolling in the last five games because they're taking care of the football. 
and they're scoring touchdowns once they get in the red zone as opposed to turning the football over, which is what they were doing earlier in the year. Clemson led the nation this year in red zone turnovers with six. That's something they can't do, but the good news for Clemson fans is that they've only turned, they haven't turned it over at all since that Pittsburgh game. They really have been playing at a high level since that loss, and uh, they kind of, I think, reacted like Alabama did against Ole Miss. They kind of rededicated themselves and and really knew that they still had an opportunity to make the playoff, but there was no margin for error uh, with what they needed to do, and that's what they've done. Uh, I guess, Will, uh, Alabama seems pretty healthy coming uh, out as they uh, finished practice in Tuscaloosa, uh, coming off of the game uh, against Washington. Uh, just uh, how healthy is this Clemson team right now? Very healthy. They uh, they came out of the game against Ohio State with uh, no injuries at all. Um, they've uh, been relatively healthy all year for the most part. Dabo Sweeney kind of said that part of that was because basically they had a later they had a they, they didn't have to wait till week they didn't have to go ten straight weeks like last year before they got a bye. And he thinks that really kind of hurt them, especially in the ACC championship game um, where they had to just wait. Uh, where they just were banged up and all these guys, they were just kind of barely walking to the finish line, as he said last year. This year, he said they're much fresher. Everybody's healthy. Um, there's nobody missing practice. Um, and they came out of that. And you saw in that Ohio State game how fresh they were. And, and you saw the speed. You saw the power. You saw the physicality and all those things, you know, which you, nobody ever does to an Urban Meyer coach team. But the, one of the reasons why is because they're a healthy football team right now and they got all their weapons. And, and remember, guys, last year they did not have Mike Williams or Deion Kane in this game. And you felt like if Clemson had one guy that could stretch the field, it might have been the difference in this football game for them because they were able to do everything else offensively. Um, but they couldn't stretch the field to get those long throws down the field. Well, they got Mike Williams back. They got Deion Kane back. And it gives them, um, it gives them two weapons that are going to cause a little stress to that Alabama secondary. And if Clemson's got time, as we mentioned earlier, to throw the football, then you know number seven is going to find a way to catch it. And that, that's probably one of the key matchups in this game. And it really is, Will. It's going to be fascinating to see how he does against a guy that's had a breakout year who didn't play, uh, only played really special teams last year, and Anthony Averett, who helped shut down Justin Ross last week. And I would have had him as co-MVP of the game with eight tackles, a sack uh, in the passes defense. Marlon Humphrey got beat early, but is now healthy, has uh, had a hamstring, and is starting to play better. He's got, he played well against Clemson a year ago. But talk about uh, the big narrative in the game. I know it's been a big topic, I'm sure, even at Clemson. Uh, the change in offensive coordinators for Alabama. Lane Kiffin no longer there. Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, now, I know that it, it, it's harder to scout Alabama a little bit now because uh, you don't exactly know what, uh, what uh, Steve Sarkeesian is going to do. But at the same time, he's only had eight, nine days to install an offensive plan going to be very interesting to see how he kind of tries to attack this Clemson uh, offense and, and what little uh, in, it, the tweaks he may make uh, uh, to the, uh, the uh, to attack the Clemson defense. Well, the only thing that really will probably affect what he does, I mean, because like you just said, in a week it's hard, and really it's less than eight days because it happened on, what, Monday? And, you know, so he only had a week, actually, maybe six days. They started practicing really Tuesday. So it's hard to kind of change things. Like if he had three weeks – then he could install some things and maybe throw some new wrinkles. Um, obviously, he can increase the tempo. That's one thing that you can you can increase with rep um, with repetition during the week. But as far as schematically what they do, not much is going to change. Clemson doesn't feel like they're going to change much um, because you know you are who you are at this point. 
you know what your personnel does best, and we all know what Alabama does best is they run the football. And so we don't think that's going to change at all, how, as what the Clemson coaches were telling us. However, um, they do said this, Brent Venables did say this, the only thing where you do kind of wonder is when you go through, a coach goes through the entire season of what one team does and he looks for tendencies and play calls, like, okay, it's second and two. What are they going to do? Or it's third and one. What do they like to do? When it's second and ten, what does Lane Kiffin like to do? Those are the things that they're not going to have now because Sarkeesian is a different guy. He's a different coach. He thinks differently, obviously. So what are they going to do in those key moments when it's third and one? Well, Lane Kiffin generally would probably like to do this one thing. Well, Steve Sarkeesian may want to do something else. That's what that's the unknown going into this game for the Clemson defense is in those key situations, what are they going to do? That's where it's kind of hard for, for Brent Venables and his staff to teach. Then uh, another fascinating aspect is much like Farrell has had a kind of a breakout for Clemson uh, and is playing uh, well at defensive end now and he's someone Alabama is going to have to deal with. Alabama, I think, is better at the offensive tackle spots than they were a year ago. Cam Robinson, the Outland Trophy winner at left tackle, the best right tackle, in my opinion, and freshman left uh, right tackle in college football, and Jonah Williams. They're gonna, I know uh, Dominic Jackson really struggled against the, the, the athleticism of the Clemson front last year. Uh, we'll, I, I'm going to be fascinated to see how the OTs and the offensive line as a whole to, does against them. But Bo Scarborough has kind of been Alabama's breakout guy the last month. He's finally kind of uh, grown into the position like everyone thought he would in the spring. It's really going to be interesting to see how he matches up against this physical Clemson front seven. Yeah, and, and he's got healthy legs. Let's 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 remember that. I mean, fresh legs. Because as you just mentioned, he didn't play for a lot of the season. He's injured. He's banged up. He's rested now. He's got his football mm-hmm. strength with him now because he's back. He's been back at it for a little while. So now, you know, he he's got the speed of the game back. He's got those fresh legs, and that means a lot when you're into the 15th game of the season. So that's a big deal. That's a bigger deal probably than what people probably think. And that's going to be a challenge for Clemson's defense because he's a lot like Derrick Henry. You know, he's got this real powerful legs can run straight ahead at you, very muscular and tall. and what, what is he, 240 pounds? I mean, that's hard. That's a hard load to bring down. And then you put on the fact that what he's different than Derrick Henry is he's faster. And he's more yeah. of a traditional – he can do more of the traditional running back things, like cutting and things of that nature. I think that 68-yard run against Washington is a prime example of what he can do when he gets an open space. Derrick Henry couldn't do that. Derrick Henry was more of a straight-line runner. So he brings a little different element to the game, and it's definitely a concern for Clemson's front seven and that defense on how they're going to have to slow him down. Because if Alabama gets him going, then that can set up a lot of other things in their offense, and that, that concerns Brent Venables, obviously. But you called it, I think, the most interesting part of this entire game and where this game is going to be won and lost is going to be with their offensive line against Clemson's defensive line. The winner of that matchup is going to win this game because, as you said earlier, Clemson's offense is good enough, they're going to make plays. Clemson's, uh, Alabama's defense is good enough, they're going to make plays. They're going to cancel each other out for the most part. Where this game's going to be won or lost is where that offensive line against Alabama gets Clemson's defensive line. I think Clemson matches up very well against Alabama uh, because, uh, you know, I don't think Hurts has totally developed as a passer yet. He's, he, his style of running, his style of play at that quarterback position feeds into what Brent Venables does on his defensive schemes. If you've ever watched Clemson play against those kind of quarterbacks, they generally play very well against them. Um, it's more of the traditional drop-back passer. If he gets time, that can really hurt a Clemson team more than a guy who likes to get out on the edge or only has one or two reads and he wants to go run the ball. 
that plays right into Clemson's hand and their speed of their defense. So, and you saw that last week against Ohio State. So, if Hurts is not able to run the ball successfully and Clemson can get him out of his comfort zone, then that's going to play into their strengths and they're going to be able to do – I'm not going to say they're going to dominate the way they did Ohio State, but they're going to have a lot of success on defense. I think that's the best matchup for Clemson in this game. And, 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 and I think that helps Clemson a lot. And so that is the key matchup in this game. Whoever wins that, if really, Alabama's offensive line gets off, then they got, Alabama's going to win this game. If Clemson's defensive line gets off the ball, then Clemson's going to win this game. Exactly. And I, the key is going to be, I think, getting Jalen Hurts, from an Alabama perspective, confidence early uh, with some short, quick throws. Uh, because I think if Alabama can make some plays, you talked about how they, they, did, they didn't match up with the tight ends at Pitt. They had all kind of trouble with O.J. Howard last year. I don't think he'll go for 200 again. But I think O.J. Howard needs to be an integral part of the game plan. And Alabama's got to get Calvin Ridley and Ardarius Stewart, uh, two very talented wide receivers, uh, more involved in the game plan because they only had three touches against Washington. They're going to have to touch the ball a combined 10, 11, 12 times if Alabama's going to have a chance to beat Clemson. So that means Jalen Hurts is going to have to be good early to kind of gain some confidence so they can uh, go if they, they can uh, have a chance to run the football in the second half and control the clock a little bit. Yeah, and I, I want to see, and I think Sarkeesian will probably bring a little more of the jet sweep motion with those two guys, especially with number three, and try to get him on the edges just to test the Clemson uh, defensive ends and make them stay home um, because obviously they want to establish the running game and they want the defensive ends not to be in the backfield. Uh, as you mentioned, Clemson did a great job last year of living in the backfield. I think they can do that again. I think they're actually better on the defensive line this year than they were a year ago. Um, and so that's going to be a challenge for Alabama. I think one way you counter that, a lot of misdirection, a lot of eye candy, and I think you're going to see them do that early to, as you mentioned, to get hurt more involved early in the game, get them a little more confident, especially help with that zone read. Um, if, if they're able to do that, and then obviously it sets up everything else in that offense, very similar to Clemson and what Clemson wants to do. And, and both, both teams run the same style kind of offense. Obviously Clemson runs it a little more efficiently um, because they've been doing it longer. Um, but Hurts is the kind of player that's made for this kind of offense. And if he gets confidence early, then that can go a long way in helping Alabama. Alabama doesn't have to throw a 300 yards to have success offensively in this game. They just need to get around 250. If they get around 250, then that's going to put pressure on that Clemson defense, and it's going to force Clemson's safeties and linebackers to have to back off a little bit, and that might open up that running game a little bit more for Alabama. No question about it, Will. And now, finally, this is the last question for you tonight, and we really appreciate your time as you've checked in in Tampa, Florida, to cover this game coming up Monday uh, in, at Raymond James Stadium. I know you liked Clemson in the game last year when we spoke with you, and they nearly pulled it off. Uh, who, what, what, what is your gut feeling on how it turns out this year? Well, this year, you know, last year was a offensive game. And, you know, I, I really wasn't expecting that going into that game because I thought both defenses would come to play, and they did early on. But then later in the game, Alabama's defense wore down. They couldn't stop Clemson. That's why Nick Saban did the onside kick. Clemson's defense wore down in the fourth quarter, and somebody could not cover O.J. Howard for whatever reason that was. And, you know, just things happened that we didn't expect. And you're going to see that probably in this game, too, because it's a championship game and things like that happen. But I like – I think this is going to be a defensive football game. I think both defenses have something to prove. Alabama wants to prove they can stop Deshaun Watson. Clemson wants to prove that they can shut down Alabama. Um, like I said earlier, they felt like defensively they let the team down. And, uh, you know, that they should have – they scored 40 points. They should have won the game. Um, and so, they want to answer that bell. And so, with that, I think you get two very motivated defenses coming in. 
But I, the thing I like about this game is you mentioned experience earlier, uh, talking about Clemson and Ohio State, and that was the difference in the game. When you look at Clemson on the offensive side of the football, that experience is going to be a big factor, especially with the guy who's the quarterback. And I think, you know, when you play in a game like this and you look at Deshaun Watson, his history of playing in big games, he's come through every time. He's played, he's played at the highest level. He's played in the toughest games you can play in. And he always finds a way to put his team in position to win. Actually, he's only lost once, and that was in the national championship game last year to Alabama. And it wasn't his fault. He did everything he could to win it. I think that's going to be the difference in this game. I think the experience level at quarterback with these two defenses is going to be the difference, and I think that's you're going to see Clemson win a very tight, physical, defensive football game because of it. Well, Will, we always appreciate your time, sir. We will definitely uh, glue to your Twitter feed following the, the progress of Clemson and go, leading up to kickoff. Thank you for your, uh, the uh, few minutes you gave us tonight. It was really great stuff. I know our listeners really enjoyed it, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you down the road. Really appreciate it, your time tonight on BAMS Radio. All right, guys. man, Have fun, man. Enjoy the football game, guys. Thank you. Thank you. That is Will Vandervert of the Clemson Insider, their beat writer, at Steeler Will on Twitter. Some very interesting thoughts, Thomas Watts, on this matchup. I, I appreciated him coming on. I'm not going to bash him the second he gets off the line. I'm just going to say that many of his points I'm not, I don't really agree with, and not, not because of crimson-colored glasses, but because I think there were some, some, false, some false premises there. But that's okay. The fun part about football is everybody can have your opinion going into a game, and we won't know who's right until we line up between the white lines, Drew. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll, we won't know. Uh, I, you know and I, Clemson's a very talented football team, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is I know Deshaun Watson's experience, but so's the Alabama defense, uh, and they have experience at all three levels. There is some inexperience in the secondary, but really, it's only uh, in the nickel situation. Uh, and Alabama will be in dime some, and you'll see uh, Hootie Jones. But he's played all year anyway. Uh, the inexperience is Tony Brown. But guess what? Tony Brown's pretty talented. And if Tony Brown, you know, has a breakout game, uh, he could be he could make some plays. And I'll say this: Deshaun Watson has turned the ball over in every game. And he, he may go out and play the perfect game and lead Clemson to a national title. That's, he's capable of doing that, but I don't think he will. I think he's going to be harassed, unlike he was last year. I think he's going to turn it over at least three times. And I think Alabama is going to pull away in the fourth quarter to win a very hard-fought game, 27-17, to win their 17th national championship. But I completely respect Clemson. I think their defense is very, very good, but it's not as good as Alabama's. I think Alabama can run the football. There's a lot of teams that move the ball on Clemson. I mean, he made a point himself. Virginia Tech scored 35 points. Okay. Yeah, and, and Virginia Tech Alabama that game held was competitive to seven to that, seven, that, my friends. That, that Virginia Tech game was competitive until Clemson got a fourth quarter stop. Like Clemson could never pull away from Virginia Tech because and, they couldn't stop them. Yeah. So you yeah. know. So this, this this defense being and even in the class of Alabama's to me isn't true, and I think. The Alabama Crimson Tide, if they can get 200 yards passing out of Jalen Hurts and and uh, and get maybe 50 to 60 yards from his legs, can win this game and uh, and protect the football. They need one or less turnovers. If they turn it over against Clemson, it could get ugly because Clemson's very explosive offensively. 
Uh, but it should be a heck of a contest. And we hope everyone enjoyed talking ball. Or, or I, I, say, I should say I, I, I finally made that mistake, not talking ball. We, we had the Aaron Settles conversation from talking ball. But I hope they enjoyed BAM's radio tonight uh, because uh, it's been a spectacular show. It's been really a quick two hours. It felt like 20 minutes. Uh, but William Redfish Barger brought it in the first hour. We brought you the conversation with Aaron Suttle. Thomas and I had some back and forth as well in our thoughts. And then Will Vanderbilt was good enough to join us once he got checked into his hotel uh, live from Tampa, Florida, with some very interesting take on the Clemson Tigers. We hope Kevin Hagan, uh, you know, Bubba, everybody enjoyed it in the chat room. I know uh, Will really set off a firestorm there, but wanted to hear his perspective from the Clemson side, and we really appreciate it. And Roll Tide, tune in Monday. We're all ready for this game to see if Alabama can finish 15-0 and and win the 17th National Championship for the first dominant Good night, and we'll talk to you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.